Oh, what a great day. It's, I love back to school time because that means people start coming back to church. All the summer vacations are over with. Nobody's cruising anymore or going out of town, getting back to school. So this is one of my favorite Sundays of the year because I get to have all of you back with us. We're continuing on in our Joshua series as we're going to look at Joshua chapter 10 today. To me, one of the greatest miracles recorded in scripture that very few people know about. And this miracle we're going to look at today shows us, you hear the, the, the phrase, he has the world in his hands. The miracle today will demonstrate that phrase, you, you, the, uh, the children's song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Yes, we're going to see that represented in scripture today. And I, I believe that the kind of faith I'm going to talk to you about today, the kind of prayers that I'm going to challenge you to pray in your life regarding your family, regarding your career, your health, your ministry, I believe that this kind of prayer is not reserved for some super Christian, you know, A-list Christian. It is for anyone who will come boldly before the throne of God and seek his face. I don't believe Jesus saved us to survive this world. I believe that he saved us to change it for his glory. And I see too many believers, too many Christians who say they love God, who have settled into a comfortable complacency and have been lulled into a low expectation. But the kind of faith I'm going to talk to you about today believes that the God we serve is able to do the impossible as an ordinary way of life, and I believe that he is able to work in impossible ways in your life. Joshua chapter 10 opens with, the five, with five of the kings of Canaan joining forces to attack Gibeon because Gibeon had made a peace treaty with Israel. If you remember, we talked about this last week. If you missed last week's sermon, you can go listen to it on the podcast these five kings didn't know it, but they are actually playing right into the hands of Joshua. Now, instead of having to pick them off one at a time, they decided to all gang up thinking, if we don't come together, we're going to fall separately. And so these five kings came together to go to war against the Israelites. They have seen what happened at Jericho. The mighty walls of Jericho fell. They saw what happened at Ai. A, the Gibeonites made peace with the Israelites, and so these kings are now going to join up forces. And if you remember last week, we saw how they'd been tricked into making a peace treaty with Gibeon. And so now it's time for Israel to make good on their promise to protect the Gibeonites. And in the process, they will defeat the other people that would be standing in their way to take the promised land. And for Israel, it seems like just another battle, but for us, it's a vivid picture of the Christian life. So we're going to pick up in Joshua chapter 10, starting in verse 9. It says, So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched all night up from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda 
And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the, with the sword. Now, this is a crazy story. If you say the Bible is boring, you haven't read it. Because if you go back and, and, and read what I just read from Joshua chapter uh, 10, verse 11, God was throwing stones from heaven. Is that not wild? That there were more people that died from the stones from heaven than were killed by the sword from the Israelites. God can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime of trying to do it on, in our own way. Verse 12, here's the verse that really sums up the way that we need to live our lives. It says, At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord, and the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said, In the sight of Israel, sun stands still at Gibeon, and moon and the valley of Ajalon. Only a handful of words, but it's so powerful. They had, it had cosmic consequence. Not a very long prayer, but watch what Joshua, watch what God did in response to the faith of one man. How did God answer this prayer of Joshua? Verse 13. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of the heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. See, what happened here is Israel had these Amorites on the run. And Joshua knew that as, if nighttime fell, they would be able to slip away and they would be, then be forced to fight another battle. Joshua's like, we've got them on the run. We can destroy them now. And so he <laughs> prays a crazy prayer. God, make the sun stand still. Like Joshua doesn't even know the, the, the correct prayer to pray in this situation because we now know that the earth revolves around the sun. It's not the sun that moves, but it's the earth. But he prays what he knows, and he prays for the sun to stand still. And I believe that the same God who made the sun stand still for Joshua, this is the same God who raised his son up from the dead, now longs to show himself to every man, every woman, boy and girl who call upon his name and believe him boldly to do the impossible so that he can receive glory in your life. Let's see here this morning. We need to, number one, we need to dare to pray God-sized prayers. Joshua had the audacity to ask God not just to do something, not just miraculous, but he asked him to do something unprecedented, something that just seemed crazy. 
The fact that he could even thought this is remarkable. Faith knows no limits because with God, nothing is impossible. You see, Joshua's prayer showed how big he believed his God to be. James says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. God, prayer is the arena where our faith meets God's abilities. I'm going to say it again. Our prayer is the arena where our faith meets God's abilities. We can pray prayers worthy of the God we're praying to. Have you ever ask God to do the impossible in your life. Think about that. Have you asked him to do the impossible? Does your unbelief limit what God can do for you? That is, you believe God only for the achievable, the believable, and so you pray only decent prayers, prayers that are more reasonable. I believe it happens every day all around the world where a believer is bold enough to say, God, I want to live my life in a way that is so bold that leaves no doubt to the the world surrounding me that you are fighting for me. I want people to look at my life and say, surely the Lord is fighting for Robert Hodges. I want God to do such enormous things through my life and your life and through the life of Bethel that whatever your situation looks like, that when people size up your situation and compare it to your situation, they say, this should not happen. They have nobody to blame but God for the supernatural results that he creates in your life. So I want to spend the remainder of our time together today making this very personable for all of us. A lot, it's a lot easier to believe that the sun could stand still for an Old Testament character like Joshua who fought the battle of Jericho, who saw the walls come tumbling down, than it is to believe that God can make the sun stand still when you are trying to raise middle school kids or you are trying to reconcile with your husband or wife, or you are trying to get along with that coworker who has it out for you. So let me tell you what I've learned about God. If the size of the need that you have in your life seems too big for you, it's the right size for God. So if you're in a situation today and you say, the only way this can happen is if God does it, you are real you are in God's wheelhouse because he specializes in those kind of scenarios and here's what i love about this miracle we know as i mentioned that scientifically that this isn't even the correct thing to ask god to do the earth revolves around the sun so as joshua's praying he's not even praying the right prayer scientifically But God hears it. But according to what he understood about God, the fact is God loves it. 
He's not insulted by our big request. He's insulted by our small ones. You see, there's no prayer that you can pray that would intimidate God. We pray dumb stuff. How many of you guys have ever prayed something dumb? Here's a, here's a dumb prayer. God, be with me today. I'm, I'm sure God's thinking, I didn't know that I, I wasn't going to be. I'm with you every moment of every day. Why wouldn't I be with you today? First of all, he would think, I checked. I feel time and space and every square foot of this earth belongs to me. But okay, if that's all you're going to pray for, okay, I'll be there like I am every day. We think of other prayers that we pray. God, be with me. Other things, too. We'll pray these prayers, and we think our heart is good, and we think we're trying to do as humble. But we'll pray this prayer. We'll say, God, I need you to heal this area of my life. I need you to provide in this way. And God is asking us to come before him in earnest with open hearts, with big, God-sized prayers. Here's why we do this, number two, because we can cling on to God's promises. Why was Joshua so bold? Because he knows God, and he knows his will. During the march, God spoke to Joshua and gave him this promise in verse 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua believed what God had promised him. It was God's will to defeat the enemy. He wants to see God's purpose fulfilled. Someone says, God listens to the voice of a man who himself has listened to the voice of God. Joshua knows God enough to ask for the sky, so to speak. He saw God drop food, drop manna, from the sky for 40 years when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness to feed the people. He saw the Lord produce water from a rock. You see, this man Joshua has no doubt in his mind what his God can do. And here he did what he can as a commander to plan and strategize to lead the army in an all-night march and a pre-dawn strike and then let God do his part. His faith in God comes through knowing God, and to know him, we begin to hear him. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And that's where we need to focus that. If you want your faith to grow, get to know him more. To know him, you need to hear him more, and we hear him through the reading and the studying of his word. But shouldn't we get to the point in our Christian life that we are in step with God like Joshua was in stepping up with God? God didn't make the sun stand still because God, Joshua prayed a God be with me type of prayer. God didn't make the sun stand still because Joshua said, God, if it's your will, make it happen. He got bold enough to say, Lord, I know your promise. 
I know you promised me that nobody is supposed to be able to stand against your people. And according to your promise that you made me when I started out as the leader of this people, I need you to do something right now. Make the sun stand still. And the greatest humility that you can demonstrate is to put yourself in a position where if God doesn't come through, you're going to look silly. That's the humblest thing you can do is say, God, only you can do it. Would you make the sun stand still? And I'm wondering if you'll finally be bold enough today to surface that need in your heart to apply to your family, to your finances, and to say, God, I need you. I need you to come through. I heard a pastor say once, if the size of your vision for your life isn't intimidating to you, there's a chance that it's insulting to God. It's a little stinging. Because what you ask God for is a direct reflection of what you believe about his capability, his capacity, his character, and his nature. Man, that's a stinging statement. So we need to cling to God's promises. Number three, don't stand in hope. Walk in faith. We can pray and stand in hope. In other words, we do nothing but just wait and hope that God will show up and do something. This is passive faith. And James, the brother of Jesus, calls it dead faith. Faith without deeds is dead, James chapter 2. It's useless. I need to show you my faith by what I do. I'm going to be active because, God, I believe you're going to come through. We need to walk in faith, to move out, to do something to get to our destination. It's amazing to see the extent of the human effort that is involved in this battle. Joshua's army made an overnight long march and and then launched straight into a pre-dawn battle that lasted all day into the next sunset. Imagine how exhausting that was for the army. And he asked the Lord to stay the sun for another full day. His army fighting for two days. Even though God was with them, had given them the promise of victory and was personally involved in the battle by raining hailstones down on the enemy, it did not free Joshua and the Israelites from their personal commitment to fight the battle. They still had a responsibility. They had to fight the war. They had to sweat it out for night and days. They had to pay a price. They had to fight the war. Success doesn't come easy. Why? Because it still requires work, even with God's presence and God's promise. So I'm wondering, what is the sun stand still prayer that you need to pray today? I'm wondering, what is the impossible thing that God is waiting to do in your life, but you haven't asked him? You have not come before him. I'm wondering if you will be bold enough to pray it. Just a handful of words 
out of the mouth of Joshua literally changed the cosmos. (laughs) It changed the heavens. Notice that although God gave the victory, Joshua still had to fight the battle. It's human nature to want to skip straight from the promise to the payoff. We don't like the in-between because the in-between a lot of times is a lot of hard work. We like to get to the end and enjoy the fruits and just skip over the labor in the middle. You know, who doesn't want to get to the good stuff, right? But the process is invaluable. The process is a time of strengthening. The process is a place where you lay down your pride and learn to totally rely on God. Most importantly, the process is the way we grow to know God, and that is really the whole point. One of the major irritations is when someone spoils the plot for me on a movie. Or I'm recording the game at home and someone tells me who wins. It irritates me to no end. I want to see the play on first down and 10 from the 20-yard line. I don't need you to tell me that they got a touchdown. I want to see it. Seeing it, that's part of the process. That's part of understanding. You know, whenever you're watching the movie, you want to see if the boy gets the girl or the team wins the championship. You want to watch it. See, if, if I wanted to just know the outcome, I could pull up my ESPN app and see the final score. But that's not the goal when you're watching a game or reading on Rotten Tomatoes about the plot of the movie. You want to feel the tension and the suspense. You want to whether, you know, know whether the good guy wins the girl or whether your team wins the game. The plot is the point. What if the same dynamic that makes the plot the point of movies and games applies to our relationship with God? Is it possible that the process isn't just a time waster or a commercial break? Have you ever considered that in the overall scheme of God's design, that the process, which is our life, these 60, 70, 80, 90 years that God will give us on this earth, that is the point. If all God wanted to do was to get us to the happy ending, we'd all be in heaven right now because that's the happy ending. That's what we are all looking for. If his only intention were to make your dreams come true, he'd snap us all right up to heaven right now where we would have unimaginable being in front of the throne of God, worshiping our Lord and Savior. And deep down, it's not really all you want either. You want to learn to walk by faith, not by sight. And you can't learn that without walking through periods of complete darkness. The apprehension and the gut-level fear you feel in stages make you turn back and pursue 
something safer. And that's not what we as Christians are called to do. We can opt for something better. We can embrace the process with an audacious faith because every big dream has small beginnings. Between the promise and the payoff, there is a process which is called becoming conformed to the image of Christ. And that process is the breeding ground of faith. That process has the potential to draw us closer and closer and closer to our God. Pray God-sized prayers because God is more capable than any prayer that you can pray. Cling to his will and what he has promised and move on in faith. Do you have an intimate relationship with God that you can come to him so boldly with prayer so big that if God doesn't answer them, that you're going to look silly. That's stepping out by faith. When's the last time you prayed a prayer to God that was more than be with me or God protect me or some generic fill-in-the-blank phrase? When's the last time you prayed something specific so big and expected God to fulfill it because we know God holds the whole world in his hands and there's no prayer that we can pray that our God cannot fulfill